So last week, we started a, a new sermon series, and it's titled, We Are the Church. And uh, if you missed last week, just catch up real quick. Uh, so we're looking at this sermon series called, We Are the Church, and for five weeks, we're talking about what is God's design for the church. And so last week, the key verse that we looked at is, Jesus said as he kind of instituted or started the church, his first words about the church are, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we talked about how Jesus builds the church, but we as believers, we as a part of the church have a role that he calls us or he assigns us to as well. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about what does it look like to be a part of the church and what is our role in Jesus as he builds the church. And I want to just take a half a step back and kind of ask a question, why are we spending four or five weeks on this? And, and here's why, and here's why this is so important, is the church, if we get it right, if we as the church are the church that God wants us to be, we have an incredible opportunity for influence. Influence in individuals' lives, influence in our community, influence in the world around us, if we are the church that God wants us to be. But the flip side is if we get it wrong, if we're not who God wants us to be, the church can be one of the most dangerous, destructive things around. It can be incredibly damaging to a community, incredibly damaging to people's lives. And so we want to spend this focused time of five weeks saying, what is the purpose of the church so that we can get this right and be part of God's spreading his gospel and his hope to the world? As we talk about what the church is supposed to be, we go, well, how do we know what the church is supposed to be about? And one way that we can look at it is we can look at Jesus and we say, what is it that Jesus did as he walked the earth? What are the things that Jesus did? Because what we as a church do, we will do the same things that Jesus did. Because one of the things it says about the church is the church is the body of Christ. So whatever Jesus did, as best we can do, we can approximate that. Um, here's what Jesus said about this. This is John 14, 12. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. He says that it's this idea that those who are believers in him will do the works that Jesus did, will approximate the works that Jesus did. I've been reading through uh, the Gospel of Matthew in my own time with the Lord, and so every morning I, I make my hot chocolate, I put it on next to a lamp, I light the lamp, I sit in the same seat, and I've been reading through the Gospel of Matthew and writing down the things that Jesus did that we as a church can do. And it's been a beautiful time of really focusing on this. And as I look at, as we look at what Jesus did, and we can kind of categorize it into a number of different, like he did these things, and these are kind of in one group, and these things are in one group, and we kind of look at it differently. One of the categories that comes up is that Jesus created a family. And so this morning, we're going to look at this idea that the church is a family. So here's the bottom line this morning, if you want to write this down, or it might even be on your outline. <clears throat> the church is not something I attend, but a family 
I belong to. The church is not just a place that I go, a place that I attend, but it's a family that we belong to. Here's what Jesus said about family. This is in Matthew chapter 12. It says, While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak with him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, He said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So he says it. He says, this is the way that we're going to talk about the church. It is a family. If you do my will, you are my brother, my sister, my mother, my family. If you were to do a survey of the rest of the New Testament, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, all the other letters, uh, all the way through the book of Revelation, from first book of Matthew to the book of Revelation, every single book in there, every single letter except for one, every single one talks about this family relationship. And sometimes it could just be in the salutation, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes it's other things. Uh, The one book that doesn't have it is Jude. It's just one chapter long. I guess if he'd written a second chapter, maybe he would have included it. I don't know. Talk to him about that later in heaven. Um, But oftentimes you'll see these discussions as Jesus or as the letters or the writers of the letters talk about this family relationship. A good example from the book of uh, Romans is when it says, love one another with brotherly love. Love one another with brotherly love. Now, if you were to ask my daughter who was in the uh, video that we just saw when she was 12 years old, what do you think about brotherly love? With her three younger brothers, she would say, I don't really like brotherly love. They sit on me and they fart and I don't like that. That's what, that's what she would say probably. Um, and so when we talk about brotherly love, she's like, mm, if that's brotherly love, no thanks. And, and I say that sort of in jest but sort of in seriousness because of this is I know that there's probably a portion of you that grew up in a dysfunctional family. And when you think about family, it is not a warm word. It is not a glowing word. It is like my family. I mean, if you met my family, my Uncle Jim, like he is whacked out. If you met my mom, like she is all weird. If you met my dad, he is like the meanest person ever. And you would hear somebody talk about family or you would think about your family. You're like, if that's what family is and that's what the church is, like I don't want to be a part of that. And I get that that's where some folks come from. But here's the thing, is if you understand that you come from a dysfunctional family, you know what a good family is like because yours is not that. You know that your family is kind of weird and kind of messed up because you know you have a picture of what a good family looks like. And so as we talk about the church as a family, we're talking about what does a healthy church family look like and somewhat modeled after what does a healthy family look like. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at four characteristics of a healthy church family, and then also how do we kind of live these characteristics to be part of creating a healthy church family. So the first one uh, comes from a verse that I just read, uh, verse 50 of chapter 12 of Matthew. It says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So the first characteristic is a family does the will of the Father. Family does the will of the Father. 
You know, one of the things that makes a family healthy versus unhealthy is in a healthy family, everybody is living under the same rules. Everybody is playing by the same rules. And when everybody plays by the same rules, when everybody kind of has the same goal, it makes getting along a whole lot better. I'll give you an example. Uh, so in our family, you know, we have a Xbox or Life or 360 or PS something, I don't know, whatever, one of those little game things, right? We have one of those in our household. And, uh, but oftentimes, the kids will both want to play on it. And so we have made a rule. We say, okay, you, whoever's playing on it, if another child comes and says, I want to play, then you set a time of 10 minutes or 15 minutes, and whoever's on it gets another 15 minutes on the Xbox or on the PS27, whatever it's called, right? Um, and then when that 15 minutes is up, they stop, and the other person gets 15 minutes, and then when their 15 minutes done is done, then the, no, the other person goes back. And that's, that's how we do it in our, in our household. There are certainly other ways to do it. I mean, they, if a kid comes and says, well, I think the rule should be whoever's on it first gets to say on it until they're done. Well, that's not the rule, right? I make the rules. I'm the father of the house. Stacy and I together make the rules. And so it's this idea of when everybody plays by the same rules, life goes better. And so in a family, a family does the will of the Father. And so a great question to ask yourself is, are you doing the will of the Father? As you think about your life, is that a daily thought for you? Say, am I doing God's will? Am I doing what God wants me to do today? Am I doing what God wants me to do with my life? Am I doing what God wants me to do in this interaction or in that interaction? And then a corollary question to that is, are you linked up with other people in God's family who have a similar, who are the same in terms of going after God's will? Are there people around you in your life who are going after it with you in that same way? The next characteristic comes from Mark chapter 1. And uh, again, remember, we can look at what Jesus did and we say, that's, how, that's him creating family. How do we imitate that? So this is Mark chapter 1, verse 30. It says this, Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. So Simon, that's Peter, is typically how we know him. His mother-in-law is ill, and it says that Jesus came and he healed her. Now, some of you may be thinking that wasn't so kind, but that's a different joke for it. Okay, that didn't go over very well. I love my in-laws. Okay, um, but you see, here's what we see is that Jesus, this is right at the beginning of the disciples following Jesus. And right from the beginning, he reaches out, he sees that Peter's mother-in-law is in need, and he reaches out, and he helps her. So that's the second characteristic of a family, is a family helps. A family helps one another. I want to share with you an illustration, and, and this has worked in my mind. I hope it comes out right from my mouth. I want you to think about the difference between going to a restaurant and having a family dinner right? Now, when you go to a restaurant, if things aren't right at your table, you complain, you tell the waitress, you know, hey, we're missing a fork, you know, there's, I don't know, toilet paper all, all, all over the bathroom floor, my soup is cold. Like, when you're in a restaurant, you, if something's not right, 
you complain about, right? But when you're in a family dinner and something's not right, what do you do? Well, you solve the problem, right? You get up, you go, if somebody's missing a fork or you're missing a fork, you go out and you get a fork and bring it back. If your soup is cold, you put it in the microwave. Everybody sort of has a role in a family dinner. But when you're at a restaurant and something doesn't go right, whatever it is, we in our heads think, you know, somebody ought to do something about that. That light is flickering. Somebody ought to do something about that. My table wasn't set right. Somebody ought to do something about that. That's the way it works at a restaurant. But when we talk about in a family, at a family dinner, it's different. It's see a need, do a deed. If something's not right, you're like, well, I need to fix it. You know, even if you think about it at a restaurant, if the waitress is having a bad day, right, or she's just kind of short with you or angry or, you know, whatever, you're kind of like, you know, kind of talk about it. Maybe you don't tip as much. But if somebody in your family is having a bad day or kind of short, you're like, hey, what's going on? And there's a difference there. And so we talk about a family. The way that we operate is not, you know, somebody ought to do something about that. It's see a need do a deed. Yesterday, I was up here for about three hours, and there are about 25 folks who were living that out of seeing need, do a deed, and did all kinds of projects around River just to kind of get this place looking a little bit better. And it was awesome just to see people say, hey, I've got some skills or I've got some time. I can pitch in and help. A few minutes ago, Alex talked about uh, the I'm in thing and volunteering. We need folks to serve. We need Folks that step up and say, hey, I'll be an elementary school small group leader, right? And instead of going, somebody ought to do something about those second graders, right? Maybe that's you. That you do something about them second graders, right? That's what it means to be a part of a family. We all do it in different ways, but we all pitch in and help. You know, I think about when our kids were Uh, little, like I would say probably age two, and they're older, so I have a bad memory. But like when they were young, like right from the beginning, we gave them a family chore, right? Your job, you're two years old, you can take your plate and you can put it in the sink, right? You can take the toys that are all over the living room and you can put it in the toy box. And then they got a little bit older and they're like five or six. Okay, you can sort the silverware from the dishwasher. And then a little bit after that, you can cut the grass, right? You can do this. Then you can drive. Now you can drive your little brother around, those types of things, right? That's part of saying everybody serves, everybody does something in a family. In the same way we look at a church family, we say everybody has a role to play. Let's look at another element. Uh, and I'm going to read you the, a list of the disciples and their names, and just follow me for just a minute. So it says this. This is in uh, Luke chapter 6. It says, In these days he went out on a mountain to pray. So this is Jesus. He went out on a mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And first of all, I just love the fact that Jesus spends an entire night praying. He, Jesus is God. He's praying to God the Father, saying, Are these the people that you are calling to be my disciples? I just, I love that. It says, and when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. By the way, wouldn't you hate to be the other Judas? <laughs> it's like, 
I thought you like killed yourself. No, that's the other Judas, wrong guy. That's why they call him Thaddeus in a lot of their places. So, but Jesus spends this night in prayer and he calls these people to him, these 12. And what I want us to see, and it, you kind of got to look behind the text just a little bit, but these 12 guys were incredibly diverse group of people. There's a couple of pairs of brothers, but there was a couple group pairs that were completely opposite. You know, one of those was Peter, right? So Peter is different from Thomas. So if you know much about Peter, if you've read his story, you know, one of the kind of things that people joke about Peter, that his motto for life was ready, fire, aim, right? He just sort of, he just did things, you know, just didn't think about it. He just kind of went for it. He spoke before he thought. He jumped, he, he leaped before he looked. He just kind of went for it. Like, he's like, that's sort of his personality type. But on the other side, and maybe you've heard his story, you've got Thomas. He, we know him as Doubting Thomas. But like his big thing was like, I got to be absolutely sure about Jesus before I believe in him. Like I walked with him for three years, but I have to see him after the grave with his handprints, with the nail prints. Like I got to see, like he was like a detailed, detailed guy. And then you've got Peter's like, hey, whatever, let's jump and figure it out later. Very different personalities, but Jesus brings them together. The other one, the other pair that's very interesting um, is you've got Simon the Zealot and Matthew. So Matthew, his role, his job before following Jesus is he worked for the Roman government collecting taxes. So the, the Jews were occupied by the Romans. He basically, his job was to collect money from his former friends to give to the Romans. He was a Roman sympathizer. But on the other side of things, you've got Simon the Zealot. And his whole role in life was to overthrow the Roman government. I just want to get rid of the Romans by whatever means. And Jesus brings these very different people together in the same family that follows him around. Takes us to the third characteristic. A family embraces diversity. A family embraces diversity. We as a church want to be a church that embraces diversity in all kinds of different ways. We want to embrace racial diversity. We want to embrace economic diversity. People of all different economic and social statuses come and are part of River Ridge. We also want to embrace, and this is a little touchy, we want to embrace political diversity. I remember a couple of years ago when the uh, campaigns were going on in the 2020 elections, and uh, it was just interesting being on Facebook at that time, because we had people here among us at River Ridge who were like super pro-Biden and anti-Trump, and they were typing it all out about it, right? Uh, and then we had people on the other side who were super, what was the other way? Pro-Trump, pro -Trump, anti-Biden, and they were typing at it all over this way. And, and people in the same church like putting some pretty heated stuff out there. And I, and I can remember reading these on a number of occasions, and I remember kind of thinking two things. The first is, y'all need to calm down a little bit on Facebook there. Um, but the second thing was like, do you know that like you guys sit like two rows apart in church? And like, it was just interesting in the same church, we got these pretty heated discussions. But one of the things that I love about River Ridge is we're diverse and that's okay. And we can be different in those kinds of ways and still be united in Christ. Because again, a church is not something I attend. A church is a family that we 
belong to. And we can love one another despite having differences and despite being different. The fourth characteristic comes from Mark chapter 9. It says this. It says, And they came to Capernaum, this is the disciples, and they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he, this is Jesus, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they'd argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If any would be first, he must be the last and servant of all. And I can just picture this scene. The, the, the disciples, they're all walking towards Capernaum, and, and Jesus is out front, you know, and Peter's going, You know, I'm kind of the greatest disciple. Like, you remember how Jesus said to me, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. You got the right answer. Like, I'm kind of a big deal around here. And then Andrew goes, uh, well, first of all, Peter, after that, Jesus called you Satan. So, uh, but plus, I was the one that brought you kind of into this thing. I introduced you to Jesus. And then there's John. He's like, you know, I'm kind of the greatest because I'm the one that Jesus loved. You know I mean? And I was, you know, I, I got a cool nickname. I'm a the son of thunder, like that's, I'm the, I'm the greatest. And then Matthew pipes in, and he's like, you know, I'm kind of the greatest, because I had the best gig going before I became a disciple, and I'm going to write a book about this, like, so I'm kind of the stuff. And then you've got Judas, he's like, I'm in charge of the money, I'm the stuff, right? But you got these guys all arguing about who is the greatest. And then they get to Capernaum, and Jesus says, what were you discussing on the way? I mean, I'm positive they all examined their feet at that point in time. Like, there's silence, dead silence, because they're busted, and they know they're busted. And then Jesus says, if anyone would be first, he must be last. He must be the servant of all. And I love that question, because in a family, what Jesus wants for that family, for his family and for our family, he wants them to grow. That's the fourth characteristic of a family. A family encourages growth. And in that conversation, that's what Jesus was doing. He wasn't just busting them for the sake of busting them. He was like, I want you to grow. I don't want you to be so self-centered. I want you to be the servant of all. I want you to put yourself last. That's the way to succeed in the kingdom of heaven. And when we talk about being in a family, like when we talk about being in a family, that's what we want for our families, for our biological families. We want the people in our families to grow, to excel, to do great, to do well in life. We are for them. We cheer for them. We encourage them. Sometimes we challenge them. Sometimes we correct them. But we are for each other in a family. And the same is true when we talk about the family of God, the family of the church, that we are for each other. You know, one of the places that this happens best and most, at least at River Ridge Church, is in small groups, in life groups. You know, in here, like, you all sit in rows, and I talk, and you listen, and occasionally you laugh if I get lucky, Right? Um, some of you cry, and that's okay too, right? But, you know, like, I talk and you listen. But when you're in a group, you sit in a circle, and everybody talks and everybody shares, and that's a lot of the place that growth happens, that we encourage each other. 
We set an example for each other. We care for each other. We pray for each other. Next week, we're going to talk about how can you get in a group for this fall. I encourage you to think about that. But that's where growth happens in so many ways as we do, as we look to encourage growth in one another. I want to close um, with kind of a question about church family. And one of the things that's unique about um, the church, the first church as opposed to now, um, is in the first church, there was only one church in every city, right? So, you know, in Corinth, it was the church of Corinth. There wasn't First Baptist Church of Corinth and Corinth Presbyterian and Corinth Community Church. And if you didn't like the, the preaching at, you know, Corinth Community Church, you didn't like the pastor at Corinth Presbyterian, you're like, well, let's get some good music. We're just going to go to Corinth Cathedral Praise tomorrow, right? You, you couldn't do that. Like, it was one church, right? That's, that's all there was. And I bring this up because um, one of the things that has been asked of me a fair amount that I've never talked about on Sunday, and I'm going to talk about this this morning just for a few minutes, um, but people will ask me, is it okay to leave my church? And typically they're asking me, is it okay to leave my church and come to Rivers Pool? And I've had that conversation probably a couple of dozen times. And and I want to just address that briefly. I was talking with Jay uh, last week about this. I'm like, do you think I should do this? He goes, that's kind of weird, but you could probably do it. <laughs> I guess we'll take that as a yes. Um, but I want to share a couple things along these lines. Uh, and again, I've never done a sermon on this. And, and here's the thing is, what I'm going to share with you, like these are my opinions, okay? I think they're couched in some wisdom and some experience. These are my opinions. Um, this is not, like what I've shared up to this point, like this is from the Bible, gospel, truth, the fam- church, the family, God, all that kind of thing. But this is my opinion. I think it's wisdom, but I'm not putting it in the same light as the, the previous 25 minutes. So, but when people ask me the, that question, I say, basically, I'll say, first I'll say, well, it kind of cuts both ways. Like I'm going to give you two things that I think are a reason to leave a church, but the, it cuts both ways. Like if, you know, I would say the same thing to somebody at River Ridge if they were asking about, should I leave? So, um, and the first is this, is you need to be in a place where you're growing spiritually. You need to be in a place where you're growing spiritually. And, and that to me, that, that for this church, for any church, that's beyond just, am I getting something out of the 30-minute sermon or however long the sermon is? It's like, in all that a church has to offer, are you growing in that? Do you feel yourself growing closer to Christ? And then the second part of that is, is the place you're going to church a place that you feel like you can bring people with you. You can bring someone who's investigating Jesus. You can bring somebody who's far from God. You can bring somebody who wants to grow spiritually. Can you bring somebody with you to that church? Now, those are not the only two reasons to, to leave one church and go to another, but I do think that they provide a pretty good, at least initial foundation of asking those two questions. Can I grow spiritually? Am I growing spiritually? And can I bring other people? But when it comes to... Um, church. There's no such thing as a perfect church, right? This is not a perfect church. No church is a perfect church. And so I think part of when we talk about and changing church, I think we need to take it pretty seriously and ask the question like, 
is this really what God wants me to do? And, and am I leaving a church, uh, you know, this church or, or any church, am I leaving this mad at somebody or angry? Or have I tried to resolve issues or are there issues or, you know, kind of get at, get at that a little bit? Is there something that bothers you? Have you brought that up to somebody? Or you're just like, ah, we're out of here. And, um, and so that's a little bit how, and again, that's just kind of a microcosm uh, of that. The other thing that I would say is the question of how. How do you leave a church well? Because you know, as we've talked about church last week and this week, I've used the word church, and you may have in your mind thought, well, is that like the universal church? Is that the whole church? Or is that like River Ridge Church or a local church, a local body? And in some ways, uh, it's both. And so part of keeping the whole body, the universal church healthy, is how do we leave a church well to go from one to, to another. And, and here's a couple um, thoughts that I have. Uh, again, this is my opinion. You don't have to agree with me. Um, you can leave the church if you don't like my opinions. There we go. Um, but here's the thing is, I think it's important to tell somebody, and this is if you've been around a church for a while and you're, you're involved, I think it's important to tell somebody that you're leaving. They say, hey, we decide that God is leading us to go to this church or that church. And here's why. And this just comes, again, from experience and from a kind of a pastor's heart. Um, people leave, or we don't see people around River Ridge sometimes, just as the leaders, ministry leaders, myself, staff. And we go, where are they? We don't know. And it's kind of this question mark. And especially, honestly, in today's online post-COVID era, it makes it a lot harder. It's like, well, are they watching online? Are they going to another church, which would be fine? Or are they having some kind of crisis of faith and they've left the faith? Are they going through some big thing that they don't feel like they can come to church? And, and we often don't know. And, and as best we can figure out, we try and ask questions, but that can be awkward. It's like, well, did they leave because they're mad at something or mad at me or mad at you or mad at this or that? And, and so I would encourage you to let, if you like, hey, at some point, if you leave, whether you've left somewhere else or whether you leave here, to let somebody know that. Um, and here's the second thing. Again, it's my opinion. I think that there's a place to say thank you. You know, if you've been a part of a church for any amount of time, and then for whatever reason you move or you switch church or whatever, I think it's appropriate to say thank you. Thanks for investing in my life. Thanks for loving my kids. Thanks for the music here. Thanks for that sermon I heard that encouraged me that one time. Thank you for, I mean, whatever it is, but to say thank you as you leave a particular church. I think that makes us as a church universal a healthier place. As I thought about this morning and, and sharing that, I'm like, this could be a great idea or a terrible idea. And if nobody's here next week, I'll know it's a terrible idea. Um, but I just, I just felt like as we're talking about family, that's a part of family because we live in a different time when there was just one church in court. There's not just one church in Charleston. There's not just one church around. Um, and I just wanted to share some of those thoughts with you. Um, but bring it back to the, our bottom line this morning. The church is not something I attend, but a family to belong to. And ask yourself the question. We look at these four characteristics, and you to ask yourself the question, 
Am I doing these things? Am I leaning in? Am I trying to help other people? Am I with like-minded believers? Am I encouraging the growth of others? And to look and to lean in to those things to help River Ridge to become the church that God wants it to be. And beyond that, to help the church universal to become the church that God wants it to be. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you um, just that you show us so clearly with your life what a healthy church family looks like. And I pray, God, that you would help us as River Ridge Church to be a healthy church family, to care well, to love well, to reach out well. And Lord, I pray for all the other churches um, in Charleston. God, I pray a blessing on them, on Bible Center and Resurrection and First Baptist Church and New Life and Maranatha and River Ridge Taze Valley and Elkview Baptist and God, all of these other churches, Heritage, Lord, I pray for them that you would help and enable them to be healthy, amazing churches that reach our community. Because, God, we have a common goal with a desire to proclaim you, to make you known. And I pray that we would do this together as all the churches linking arms in Charleston, in our valley, in this community. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.